0: This is the all-sports podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day.
1: Our weekly show is proudly hosted... Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way.
0: Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy
1: Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts
0: now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? i'm great our old pal uh evan is we're doing better than he is evan had himself a little surgery on monday wasn't a little it was a lot Uh, significant he was there all day long you know uh and evan has uh uh talked about this and gina his lovely wife has as well so i don't feel like we're revealing anything but evan uh suffers from crohn's disease uh and he uh had had some surgery 35 years ago um that and they just decided you know it's time for uh to bring you back into the shop and do a little we, tinkering under the we've hood. had a
1: few updates in the surgical procedures over the last 35 <laughs> years so let's let's go at this again yeah
0: exactly so as uh as Gene explained it to me they were able to to get at some things that they needed to fix and and then some new things that they fixed as well so he should be good as new uh when he gets out i uh corresponded with him last night he seemed he seemed good uh everything was well, so. We're glad that uh, he is uh, doing all right and uh, should be back with us next week. Uh, but uh, he's taking it easy today, and as well he should. So we wish him the best and send him a big shout out uh, yeah, for sure. And so today we're going to talk a little bit uh, in our first segment about the Cowboys. Um, and uh, and and before we get into uh, the Senior Bowl this week and talking about mock drafts. Um, you know, I have to say, David, I'm I'm one of those people who loves mock drafts. I, I think I get tired of them after about, oh, I don't know, six months, but uh I, I do like them for a while. It's just fun to talk about.
1: I want to talk about the You're passing not about, alone on that.
0: Yeah, that's right. I want to talk about the, the passing of Alicia Landry, uh, Tom Landry's wife, uh, and, uh, that, you know, it's, it's, she's not the last link uh, to that, uh, first regime. Uh, uh, Gilbrandt is that, and we're glad Gil's still with us. Uh, but it was, uh, uh, certainly a different time, you know, uh, uh, Tom and Alicia Landry, uh, were members at Highland park Methodist church. That was, that's our church. And, and, uh, and you know, they we have several services and there's eight million people that go there. But every once in a while when we would be sitting there, we'd look up several few pews in front of us and there'd be this very tall, erect uh, man, bald, sitting there with this woman with a a nice flow of blonde hair. And uh, you knew that was uh, the Landrys, that the Landrys were here today. Uh, You know, in in my early career at the Morning News, when I got her in 85, I covered colleges and baseball and a little bit of boxing. And so I didn't have uh, much interaction with pro football at all. So therefore, I didn't really have much interaction with Tom Landry. Um, But that came later. When the stories would come up and things would happen, and uh, we would want to get Tom Landry's uh, input. So what you'd do back then we had these things called phone books, and you would look up and there would be Tom Landry's name in the phone book, and you'd call him at home and he'd answer or she'd answer. Uh, and she always referred to him as my tommy, uh which I thought was kind of uh fun and endearing it it was, it was fun to think of of Tom Landry this very regal kind of figure uh with a wife who clearly was very protective of him uh and wanted to always make sure that he was being treated properly i don't think she always thought he he got his just doing the media and and maybe not uh but uh, at any rate it was a uh it was uh, sad to see uh the news of her passing uh they, they were
1: certainly as tim put it today uh a dallas royalty Oh, they were—they really were—and uh, I-, I talked to uh, Tom Landry Jr. Uh, last week in, in doing the obit, and and again the, the the partnership between Tom and Alicia is what everyone uh, focuses on and talks about when when they talk about Alicia. But uh, I, I mean, she really had an impact on some things you probably you know take for granted, and and one. One, in my mind, is the most iconic figure you have, which is the silhouette of Tom Landry and his fedora. Well, after after the franchise was awarded to the Cowboys, which was awarded, the Cowboys got their franchise on the 11th wedding anniversary of Tom and Alicia Landry. It was the same day. But anyway, there was, there was discussion in the organization about, well... Um, you know, you, you want to be distinctive. You want to have a profile. Uh, uh, we're in Texas. You know, you're a Texas guy. Grew up in Mission. Uh, you should probably wear a cowboy hat. That would be <laughs> that would be good. Wear a cowboy hat. And she was adamant. She said, "No, no, no. You don't look good in a cowboy hat. You need to wear a fedora. We'll get you a fedora." And uh, he knew better than to argue with that. So the reason you see. Uh, that iconic photo of Tom Landry in a fedora instead of a cowboy hat is because Alicia said, no, this is this is what you're going to look better in. And, you know, another interesting one I didn't know. And this is and and, you know, she did not design the star on the helmet. That was the that was the Cowboys first equipment coach who, who did that. But uh, Tom Jr. also told me a story about when they were still in New York because uh, Tom was the defensive coordinator for the Giants. Uh, when the Cowboys hired him as their first head coach, uh, they went to an Eisenhower rally and they were pretty high up in the stands. But uh, Alicia was struck by the fact that they had all these logos on the hats and you could still see, like, I like Ike and there was a logo. And back at that time, there were very most NFL teams did not have logos on their helmets. You know, I believe the only ones were the Rams. And uh, interesting.
0: I and thought about so. That.
1: And so Alicia went, you know, you ought to have something, you know, the Cowboys ought to have something on the side of their helmets, maybe like a star or something. And uh, however the conversations proceeded and who all had input, uh, she certainly in the household, she was going, well, they ought, there ought to be something on the side of the helmet and a star would be good. And this was in the early formative stages of what was actually going to be on the helmet. So I, I would say that she had some hand in that as well. And so now you're back to two of the most uh, iconic uh, aspects of the Cowboys franchise. And she had a hand in both of them.
0: Well, that's really interesting. You
1: know, I, 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 it's
0: interesting to me. I didn't know if when you were talking to Tom Jr., if he, uh, I have a hard time imagining Tom Landry wearing a cowboy hat uh and just because of his personality and what he was like there's you know there are plenty of, i've known plenty of cowboys and, and certainly his personality is not different from a lot of, the, of those he just seems more like a fedora type uh
1: would he have been willing to wear it was that the, i think he was yeah my understanding was he was i mean that was uh uh he he had worn some again on occasion um and again you go back uh one of the most significant coaches of that time was paul brown uh, this was because, again, Tom and Vince Lombardi were on the same staff in, in New York before Vince went on to Green Bay. So uh, Paul Brown was actually, uh, you know, the, the figure everyone looked to at that time. And, and he wore a fedora sure. a, a lot. And, and so, um, you know, so, again, they were my understanding was it just didn't proceed very far because Alicia was so adamant that no you know, a fedora is going to look best on you. You should go with a fedora that it wasn't really, but, but he, he was receptive to, to wearing a cowboy hat is my understanding. Yeah. So I guess at least bum
0: Phillips is the only cowboy. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Bum's the only one I ever remember. Wearing a cowboy hat during a game, and and Bum certainly was that type, so it, it fit his image. Uh, if that it didn't did. fit Tom mm-hmm. Landry's, well, uh, anyway, uh, here's a uh, here's to uh, to the Landry's. They were they were quite a couple, uh, and uh, and certainly a, a, a bygone era, uh, and uh, and in a lot of ways, we certainly do miss that uh, one some things that have passed since then uh we also want to talk today about uh it's mock draft season uh, the, the senior bowl is uh this week uh tell us a little bit about the senior bowl how it's going to be set up this year david and and uh, some of the
1: restrictions that are going to be in place because of covid well uh miami the, the coaching staffs of miami and carolina are going to be the two staffs that um that, that handle uh, the, the, you know, East and West, that handle the two teams, um, that they actually had difficulty getting staffs to, to do it this year because of the COVID restrictions, because of, uh, you know, a lot of staffs have some older coaches uh, who didn't really kind of want to be in that position. Um, and m- my understanding was that there were discussions up, up there have been reports that up to as many as 10 teams turned down the, uh, or coaching really? staffs turned down the the opportunity to coach uh, in this game, which which normally they like because it gives you an edge. It gives you, uh, it means for like four days you get to conduct practices before the games. It means you get to do basically extended interviews on players that uh, you will have an interest in drafting later. Uh, so in a lot of ways, I, t- I think it takes on even more of a priority uh, than it has in past years because you're not going to have as much information. And, and so, well, well, you'll have as much information but you'll have to get it differently and it won't be on the in-person uh, face-to-face sessions that that so many people crave and, and need that emotional attachment or feel off of to, to feel really convinced about making some of these moves. So, um, but like I said, Miami and Carolina will do it, but, you know, in the past, there's really been, um, there've been no restrictions. It's, uh, teams send out most of their, uh, coaching and personnel staff to go out there and watch the practices and, and get together and talk and do their assessments and start putting together their, uh, the resumes, if you will, on, on, um, uh, you know, who they're looking at. And, uh, certainly agents are there, uh, you know, and, and, and it's also a big place for, it's a big connection for uh, assistants who are scrambling around trying to get some of those last jobs that are open around the league. So it's, it's really, it, it's not to the scale of the combine in February, but it's pretty close. It's a pretty active site. Uh, that will not be the case this year. You know, they're there now. They're going to start practices, I guess, today, um, four days leading up to the game on Saturday. Each team is only allowed now to have four representatives from their team if they're not coaching in the game. So the Cowboys can only have four officials uh, in Mobile at the senior bowl to watch practices, uh, you know, to kind of put together their own uh, homework and do things. So you're, you're, you're lowering the number of people there dramatically. Uh, Not as many agents are are allowed to be there that there were in the past. So just a much smaller group, more controlled, contained gathering uh, than what it's been in the past.
0: Yeah, that'll be interesting to see uh, how that translates uh, coming out of that. I've you know,
1: four, you would think four is enough uh, to to see all that. Uh, it is enough, but you you know, you, you distribute information differently before when you had like the entire you know staff there. It'd be like, okay, uh, they just finished practice. Now let's go down and break it down by positions. On what you saw from your position, guys, for the next hour, hour and a half, and then we'll all get together that night and we'll we'll talk about the day and who we liked and who jumped out and 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 who maybe some of the others of us should watch the next day. Um, now, you know, tape of the, the practices and all that is available, but it's just mm-hmm. you're you're having point people to disseminate information to say watch this on tape versus everyone being there and then you just in the aftermath of it going okay. What did you see? I saw this. Okay, now what? Who should we talk about later tonight? Yeah, so I I, just it delays it. It formalizes the process a little bit, but, but all the information will still be there
0: yeah of course you don't always get the same you know it's, it's not like the senior bowl is just full of the top you know 20 picks no uh, yeah. uh and rarely rarely in is fact it's that. not yeah yeah that's right rarely these are more, more and and you know that's why it makes it valuable it's so a lot of these are, are guys that you wouldn't be going in the second or these, third these round. are second
1: and third day these are yeah. by and large second and third day guys which in a lot of ways you really need to get more information about because you don't have as much information on um and and it's uh, those decisions are the ones you spend. I, I don't want to minimize, but like when the Cowboys were on the clock last year and C.D. Lamb was there, there wasn't much discussion. I mean, everyone has you know a pretty good feel on what the top of the board looks like and and how they do it. Um, but once you get past the top of the board, once you start getting in, okay, who do you have at one twenty-five? Who do you have at one seventy-eight? Um, There are more players gathered at those points of the draft than there are at 10, 20, 30, 40. I mean, the farther you go into the draft, the more true candidates you have at your draft spot uh, in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. So. That is really where it takes you digging in and, and doing the work, and and that's where you can, that's where you really can make or break a draft. And that comes down to your, uh, the apparatus you have in place, and how you evaluate information, and and uh, how you disseminate it, and 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 how you sift through all of it you
0: know that's we've talked about this before you know everybody listen everybody should have a barring a a significant injury or or something that happens to a to a player everybody should have some success in the first round you know even if you're picking at the bottom of the first round you should be picking a guy who is going to contribute in some way Uh, now they're not all going to be pro bowlers and uh but you should be able to get in the first round, a guy who starts or plays a significant role for your team. Uh, I think you can get most fans to pick you a nice uh, guy in the first round. It's in the second and in the third and the fourth uh, rounds uh, in particular that are the ones that you really need to be producing as well. You need to be, you know – i th- I, th- I think i learned this lesson when, when i was a kid and for whatever reason in, in houston i maybe because the orders weren't playing very well uh and maybe just because uh someone gave us a poster of the kansas city chiefs uh when they won the uh, super bowl or won the N- nfl championship um i was just in, really intrigued by them uh as a as a boy and then uh as i grew up and then they they weren't any good anymore it, it, i used to you know i didn't follow them anymore and i uh wondered well why aren't they not any good and one day i went back and i looked at all their drafts and it was just the simplest thing in the world you you look in there you see draft after draft after draft where they're not getting any players or they're getting one uh guy uh, you know uh, or maybe two and then if you look back at the years when they were uh really good at the top of the nfl or the afl at the time uh they were getting three four and, and five players from a draft uh and if, if you're getting that kind of production in your draft you can look at uh, you, we can complain about jerry jones all we want to uh about how he interferes too much in the culture and all that and i hear that from fans all the time and i don't necessarily disagree with them but you know the primary reason they haven't you know been to uh, the nfc championship game in the last 25 years is because they did a poor job in the draft uh they they uh there are many drafts where they traded out of the first round and didn't get any production out of that uh now we've seen over the last decade how jerry has uh really become enamored with the draft uh when he when he traded that first round pick for amari cooper was a good trade. You got a 24 at the time, a 24 year old player who'd been very productive uh, and he had been uh, and he's been very effective for the Cowboys ever since. Uh, so that was a that was a first round pick. Well, spent in my estimation anyway. Um but uh, when he didn't have that first-round pick, he missed it. Uh, and I think because of Will McClay's influence in the draft room uh, and what he's been able to come up with, they've done a, they've done a, r- a really good job in the first round of the, of the draft over the last decade. Uh, the problem has been drafting defensive players. They haven't had as much luck with that. Um, uh, Mo Claiborne, tr- Taco Charlton, uh, then Leighton Vannerish's uh, injury problems. No, those were the significant uh, factors in a lot of those picks. Um, but but going forward, if they're not getting production out of the le- later rounds, then they're going to be in trouble. They, they need out of this draft, I think they probably need about th- three starters to come out of this draft eventually. They may not be day one starters, but they need to be guys that are going to be uh, uh, a, uh, starting at some point, uh, whether it's next season or the year after that.
1: Oh, no question. And I, I do think in, in recent years here, you know, you, you would go back and, and two or three years later and you would look at Cowboy drafts and you might only have two of the first five players two or three years later who were still were still on the team and maybe even doing anything for you. In, in recent years, it's more and more you're getting – out of those top four to five picks, there are usually at least three to four guys who are still there and, and contributing for you on on some level. Um, and uh, certainly when you were drafting high, like when they were back in 2017, 2016, excuse me, when they're number four, you know. Uh, but this is going to be another year. This is a year, you know, it also depends on where you draft because it's not just that round. Um, if you're drafting at the end of the first round, you're at the end of every round, and it's much more difficult to put a board together because um, every round will have a run at a position. But that you know, as soon as one player takes, it, it's like, oh, okay. Well, here's a cluster. You know, there are four or five corners who are pretty good, but okay, now now the second one just went off the board here in at number you know 38 in the second round. So then they all start going. And then you then you're sitting there at the end of the round, hoping to take a corner in the second round, and they're all gone because you're at the end. So um, that does make it difficult. Last year they were basically in the middle. This year they're in the top third of every round, and that's a big advantage. They they by and large they will not be the victim of a run on a position. They will be at a spot to where they can determine whether they can make a run, start a run on a position, and So if they say, you know, you know what, there are a lot of good uh, safeties here in the second round, we are going to take a safety in the second round this year, they can do it uh, at 10, whereas if you were, you know, at that point, it'll be 40, but, but that's a big difference in being at 60 or 65. You know. Yes,
0: it is. Do you, do you uh, let's look at some of these names we've seen here in the, in the draft. And of course, uh, Cowboys do need help on defense more so than they do on offense. Uh, they needed that last year, and and they took C.D. Lamb. Nobody complained about that pick when they made it. Uh, nobody that I know of. Uh, there was that uh, Chasen, chasen who was a defensive end out of LSU. I believe he went to. Uh, jacksonville um and and had one sack uh last season you know defensive ends are kind of notoriously slow to develop uh most of the time unless they're just really an outsized talents uh, he may end up being a very nice player but cd lamb is a is a i think a a, a, tr- a premier wide receiver i think you know he had his problem with drops last year but i think he's going to be a really good player for the cowboys for a long time uh, so I had no problem with that in this draft uh, it's very uh, once again uh, dominated by the offensive players at least the top level of it that's what it looks like uh, and of course there have been lots of mock drafts and there have been lots of questions about what's going to happen uh, and in some of these uh, it, it plays right into the Cowboys hands in the from the standpoint that at, at 10 they would probably or maybe have a shot at one of the top two corners, either Patrick certain from Alabama or Caleb Farley from Virginia tech. Uh, now I've seen some mock drafts that had one or both of those going before the Cowboys at 10. And so then it leaves the question, well, what do you do then? Uh, because, um uh, For the most part, defensive linemen have not been uh, considered at the top of this draft. Christian Barmore played really well uh, in the semifinals and the championship game. I'm a little leery of a guy that all of a sudden starts to put everything together at the very end of the year like that. Uh, it, It kind of begs the question of, you know, what's his motor like what's his commitment level like Uh, is he just now is he playing for the draft uh is uh you know what's going on here
1: um or is it because he was a redshirt sophomore and it just took a little bit of time to you know but but no you're right there's no definitive answer on that you can yeah that's a glass half empty half full sort of discussion you can you can argue on why uh you started to see something late so let, let me ask you this then david if you from from and obviously this is very early in the process
0: and and Lord knows if they've even formulated what they an idea of exactly what they want uh, if they were going to. Uh, For for me personally, if if Sertainer or or Farley were available at 10 and they took him, I think that would be perfect. Uh, They certainly need help at cornerback. They have several cornerbacks that are uh, free agents this year. And and frankly, if they let most of them walk, I don't think that that would be a big deal, uh, other than Jordan Lewis, uh, who has some value as a slot corner. Um, But uh, do you think that at 10, if one of those cornerbacks is not available, would you think that they would be more likely to A – trade down uh to get uh, let's say you traded down to get where a christian barmore might more likely be uh, a a guy you would pick at at 16 or 18 or 20 or do you think they might look at it like if if as our own john owning who's our film studies major suggested the other day if if alabama's jalen waddle uh the electric wide receiver for alabama who missed most of the this last season because of an injury uh if he were available at 10 would they do that two years in a row take a wide receiver i
1: find it very hard to see that they would do that because i because they arguably have as good or certainly in the conversation for the best three wide receiver set in the nfl right now um Now, that can change a year down the road because Gallup's going to be up for a contract. And then do you pay Gallup or do you let Amari Cooper go at that time to give the money to Gallup and now suddenly you'll be down to two? But um, I I just think they have so many needs on the defensive side of the ball um, that I I think them taking a receiver there again would be highly unlikely because then you look at it and now suddenly – you gave up a first-round pick to get Amari Cooper in 2019. Um, so, so really, so really, your first-round pick in 2019 was a wide receiver, right? Your first-round, your unexpected first-round pick in 2020 was a wide receiver, right? So that would mean you selected a wide receiver in the first round in three consecutive drafts. So I, I just cannot see a scenario where that would unfold or where it would add any immediate value to your team based on how you're structured at the moment. So, um, no, I, I really don't see that. I, I think more likely is, um, well, again, I think out of Farley or certain. I think I still think there's a good shot one of them is there. And this is going to depend on how many quarterbacks go in the top 10. And, and that's something to watch too, because if, uh, if teams have like four quarterbacks and three are gone and now suddenly you're at nine or 10 and you're afraid that quarterback's going to go, Dallas is a prime spot to jump up, to give something where they could go back just a few spots and get an additional pick for a team that needs a quarterback. And we've seen that, that, you do have to pay a pretty high price to move into the top 10 to get a quarterback. So, um, that 10 could have a lot of value. And I I will say if I think that's on the table, if Dallas does that, they don't want to move back too far. Uh, they would only move back four or five spots in my mind, you know, maximum, uh, because they'll want to get like a a barman, uh, that would be in that range Barmore, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, defensive tackle. So, um, I I would think if they're at 10, you would see an offensive tackle taken before you would a wide receiver if they didn't have the defensive player on the board that they really liked. Uh, And and another guy we haven't talked about is going to be around that range is uh, Penn State's Micah Parsons. Um, Linebacker. Yeah, now, where he fits in the system, is that your primary need? Um, Not necessarily, but that's going to be um, you know, Dan Quinn is, is just back in the office this week with his uh, defensive staff. All the assistants were off and they're coming back in this week. So they're going to sit down. Uh, you have a new defensive coordinator and you're going to go through and assess what you think you have at each position on the board and then say this is what we really need and this is our order of filling these slots in the offseason. And uh, maybe he looks at linebacker and says – Nah, I I don't like this. I I think this is every bit as much as a need as as defensive tackle or safety or corner. So they're starting that process at the start of this week with a new uh, uh, Dan Quinn and his uh, reconfigured uh, defensive uh, coaching staff. You know, it's interesting to me about uh, that question
0: about linebacker, because, you know, when first of all, we know that uh, there was a big imprint of Jimmy Johnson on Jerry Jones years after jimmy left and which that you know jimmy was famous for now let's let's trade out of this pick let's trade down let's you know let's let's do this because he felt like he knew these players so well and he yeah. could get what he
1: wanted and get them when he wanted uh, and he did coming from college that helped because he oh, was absolutely. recruiting he knew he had a you know he had a feel for a lot of these guys he lived in that world for a while and that really helped him for you know three to four you know at least two to three years no, no uh, question sure, into in into the move to the nfl Right, and so when he would make these picks, uh,
0: uh, and so I I do think that we saw that that uh, that he did pick some linebackers pretty high. But Jerry, I mean Jimmy, kind of undervalued linebackers, I thought a a little bit. Uh, He he was about linebackers like the Cowboys are about safeties now. It seems now they completely flip flopped. They've spent, of course they spent the second round pick on Jalen, uh, which they felt like was a bargain because he was, he was hurt. Would have been a top five pick if he hadn't been hurt at Notre Dame uh, in the bowl game. Uh, and then they spent, of course, a first round pick on Leighton Mandarish. Uh, and then if you go back to when they spent a second round pick on Sean Lee. Uh, so those were very high picks for the linebackers who have played for the Cowboys now predominantly for the last five, and six years. Um, uh, and, and I have to say, uh, and I, I'm a, you know, I come from the sixties and seventies when linebackers ruled the NFL. And so I'm as big a fan of linebackers as anybody else. But I also feel like at, at this point, I'm going to value a really top safety more than I'm going to uh, to value a, a top linebacker. I, I just feel like that the uh, the Cowboys that the two guys that they got uh, that they have now, uh, Jalen and and Van der Esch, uh, they're both very athletic, big guys. Uh, I I don't feel like. Uh, Sometimes, yes, I would like to see them be a little more uh, like Sean Lee was in his prime. I, I always felt like that Sean Lee was so good at, at diagnosing a play and such a tremendous tackler. Such I don't know that that I have seen. Uh, uh, for the Cowboys in, in, in decades, a a tackler who was just as form efficient as Sean Lee Uh, always wrapping up always uh, doing such a great job. And of course I I do believe that it's uh, Sean's time probably has come and gone uh, and he's not been nearly as good, even when healthy, the last couple of years as he was in his prime. Uh, But I, I do feel like that this team needs a top not safety. I thought that Donovan Wilson this last year really came into his own uh, in his second year, and when he got an opportunity, and played really well, and very encouraging the way he played. Uh, he's more of a, a typical strong safety. I think. Uh, I I think what they need is that free safety Xavier Woods. is a free agent. Uh, kind of regressed this last year. I was never a Xavier Woods fan in particular. I know that the Cowboys felt like that he was a star in the making, and uh, I just I never saw what they saw uh, in him. Do you, do you feel like uh, that they are looking to upgrade there at safety? Is it a possibility they
1: would not resign Xavier Woods? Yeah, I think there's a good chance they don't resign Xavier Woods. Uh, you're, you know, you're going to have limited resources you, and, it, and most of those are going to be directed to resolving Dak Prescott's status. So uh, you're not going to have as much, much. Plus, the cap's going to go down this year. You don't know what it is yet, but um, you're going to have you're going to have to be very judicious in the funds you spend defensively. And you know, this team did like Xavier Woods. They and he's been a solid starter, I would say. But I, I agree with you. They had hopes that he would be more. Uh, and you know, we've talked about this before, but you've heard this drumbeat time and time again about this defense needs playmakers. And you you haven't seen you had this short burst at the end of this past season where they started to force some turnovers against some bad teams um, that you hadn't really seen before, but. But what has been the constant in all these years when they've been uh, stressing the need to get more turnovers and haven't? They've also minimized the safety position. So what does that tell you? If you're looking at things to do it differently, maybe you go, well, maybe we would get some more turnovers if we had, if we upgraded the safety position. Why don't we do that? And, and I I firmly believe Dan Quinn is going to come in here and say, look, uh, I I. I Grade safeties a little bit higher than what this scheme has in the past. We need to we need to get us some safeties in here because that's how you're going to make plays. Um, and so I I think there, and they also need to determine what are they going to do defensive tackle. I mean for so long it has just been the uh, well I'll plug a guy in there. Spend your funds on your your outside pass rushers and your corners. Uh, I'll make everything else work. I'll just plug a guy in there. Don't worry about spending money there. Uh, where we've seen where you, that's gotten you because not only uh, not only does it leave you really weak in the middle of the line, uh, it also gets that offense and those offensive linemen on top of those linebackers rather than the linebackers being able to attack and go downfield to the play. Uh, suddenly they're having to fend and, and work their way off of offensive linemen to make a play versus seeing the play in front of them and proceeding and going and, and making the play. And to, to get better play out of your linebackers, I don't think there's any doubt that you need to upgrade the interior of your defensive line. So that those are going to be interior of the defensive line and safety are going to be along with corner because they do need corners because of where they are. I, I think you're going to be, uh big priorities in um the draft and also free agency but uh let's see how this works out I you know again they I don't think they've spent I think in the last eight years they haven't spent anything higher than a sixth round pick on a safety I would anticipate that will change this year i I would be shocked if they don't take a safety uh if not in the second or third round I, I would think you know fourth or Yes, and, and they'll have some compensatory picks that allow give them a little bit of latitude
0: let me ask you this about uh the defensive line because the giants have a couple of uh defensive linemen available and they're going to be pretty expensive guys like dalvin tomlinson uh and leonard williams uh so uh one you can make the argument uh why wouldn't you want to take away one of the giants better players uh and and two uh both of those guys uh, more so leonard williams who had a big-time season for the Giants this year 11 and a half sacks and also a, a very good against the run Tomlinson uh, really good against the run not not much of a pass rusher um, the Cowboys typically go out make some a few free agent signings before the draft to kind of take some of the pressure off so they can take the best players available that sort yeah. of thing uh, but it seems to me uh, that they're not going to they don't make big splashes in free agent signings anymore. They usually just go out and get a, uh, serviceable players, uh, guys they feel like are just kind of filling, you know, plugging holes, that type of thing. Do you expect the Cowboys would do the same this year? I would expect they will still try to get a defensive lineman or two, uh, in free agency, but I would expect they would not spend very much for them either.
1: I don't think they have very much to spend because again, you have to resolve, uh, Dak Prescott, and, uh, and the cap's going to go down. And the other issue you have here is one of the reasons they haven't made a big splash in free agency in recent years is one that they looked at it and, and their assessment is you usually overpay so much in free agency. If you go after too many players, then you're, you're really selling yourself short. I mean, you're just tying your hands on the cap and you're not filling that many positions Two the Cowboys have so many positions to fill defensively to to really draft the, you know, to have a pure draft. If you go out and you spend money on a defensive lineman, they're not going to have money to spend on anything else. They're not going to have money to spend on another safety to bring in, another corner to bring in, another linebacker. Now suddenly you're sitting on the draft board and you're going, we have to take a safety in this round. We have to take a corner here uh, because we don't have any depth there. And they want to avoid that. So one, they don't have the money to do it. Two, it really doesn't fit their philosophy because they have so many needs on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I think they will judiciously pinpoint where that money goes and try to fill as many holes as possible heading into the April draft.
0: All right, i well, I want to tease to, uh, to uh, next week's uh, um, podcast and uh, talk about uh, at that time the potential possibility if uh, if they you decide at that point of moving on from Amari Cooper which he will make 22 million dollars uh, in uh, 2021 as much as i like amari cooper and everything he's been i think because of some of their strengths that they have and because of the weaknesses they have and maybe that's the best move to make but we're gonna let we're gonna tease with that one david and we're not going to talk about it this time because we're going to move on now and talk about the mavericks uh and uh, who are struggling at this point especially at home uh now two and four after the loss to denver monday night uh that was pretty predictable they would lose to denver the uh the nuggets are really good uh and the mavericks were still short uh four guys in the rotation uh and uh but, but
1: we talk about home games now is there really much distinction in a home game and a road game no there is not and i'm going to tell you something i went out there uh the other night saturday night to give uh,
0: brad townsend a, a little spell and uh so I, I wrote a column off the game and also did a little uh game story and that's the first game that i've been to the mavericks this year and uh i'm going to tell you something it was just a little creepy uh you know i of course went to rangers games last year where there were you know there were no fans but there were still a lot of people in the press box uh there would still be i don't know 15 to 20 people in the press box and you'd see a lot of people around uh i'm at the american airlines center the other night it's me skylar dixon from ap and tim cato uh who also covers the mavs and then there was a photographer that's it and we're all well there was the spanish language broadcast was also sitting in in the press what is now the press box it's the concourse level um and and we're all sitting at least 25 feet apart so there's there's no interaction whatsoever scotter you know said hey how's it going at the first game that's it there's no one passing out you know uh the you know the Sheet. quarter stats quarter the stat. sheets and all that kind of stuff and of course you know me that being the idiot that i am i'm i'm struggling to find out you know do you see the, the the monitors that they have there and i and i don't know how to use the monitor they just they, <laughs> they flash up the results and then i'm having to wait for them to come back around you know when they when they go around for the next you know cycle of uh, stats and And so, uh, and then, and I think from the player standpoint, this is, I thought really summed it up so well. So, so, you know, you really can't tell when the game is about to start because there's just not, you know, it's, it's just such a weird atmosphere. Well, the Mavs maniacs are on the same level as the, as the, the, the press is now, right? So mm-hmm. they're, they're over there making some racket and that's the only real noise going on besides the artificial noise coming from what they're uh, the, you know, they're doing is the event presentation. Their yeah. presentation. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the Mavericks players are coming down to the floor. They're walking, they're walking in. And, uh, they're in a line and all of a sudden the, the maniac just burst out yelling and, and, and I swear three or four of the players jumped. Yeah. when they did and they and they turned around and then looked and gave a big thumbs up to the <laughs> maniacs so it's like you know you think that the the, the players ever acknowledged the maniacs before <laughs> you know it's just such a, it was such a bizarre atmosphere and so you know now they've talked about the fact certainly in that game saturday night uh they they looked very lethargic in the first half uh i i, I you know we have a tendency to want to ascribe uh feelings or whatever or emotion or energy level and we don't really know exactly what it is it could be any number of things one thing they were playing at that point their sixth game in eight days which that's a lot you know Mm -hmm. so there's number one number two they were at they're without four players in their rotation Uh, and so the so these guys are all playing a lot more, ga- you know, a lot more minutes than they normally play. So that, that certainly would be a contributing factor as well. But after the game, several of the players uh, and, and, and of course, Rick Carlisle had none of it. You know, he doesn't want them making excuses. He can't afford to let them make it, those kind exactly. of excuses because this is just the way it's going to be It's going to change for a while. Yeah, It's not going to change. But they but they all said, you know, yeah there's just no energy in the building you know and there's no energy in the building it's just kind of hard to kind of get up for this you know these these guys are are still elite players but you know there's a reason why we talk about home court advantage right there's exactly. a home field advantage and, and 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 people is they're they're yelling for you they're getting charged up for you and uh, and they do thrive on that a little bit and I, and i think it's a factor
1: especially over the course of the game like say when you have 6 and 8 uh, you're tired already there's fatigue Every athlete deals with fatigue, Um, you know, and and you can say, well, they they need to fight through that and be mentally tough and and play the exact same way, perform the exact same way, way they would, whether there's anyone in the building or not. In theory, yes, but you know what? That's why athletes work out around other athletes, because they push themselves more when they're in a commune a communal setting than they would individually. Even though they're 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 very dedicated and they're pushing themselves on an individual basis. If they see the guy next to them, oh well guy, he's getting out ahead of me now. I gotta push it a little more. Now you're pushing him, he's pushing you. And and it's the same with the crowd. If you fatigue is there, it's six of eight, mentally you're not trying to play, you're not taking a day off. You're not not competing to your best level. But if there's a murmur of energy and people yelling underneath that goes over the course of the game, over the course of the game, that's going to seep into your performance in some way, and usually in a positive way. That 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 is going to help give you some energy. Um, now, that's not to say, but that's just human nature. To me, that's not an indictment on someone not playing as hard when there aren't, you know, when there aren't there. It's just we react to situations and certain situations energize you and a crowd energizes you at key moments in a game and not having that crowd, uh, the key moments feel different. And how do you respond and how do you go about it? And every team is faced with this. It's not just them, but I will say by and large, probably younger teams, that impacts a little bit more than maybe it should, um, that they don't realize how much, you know, it's the other thing, too. They probably don't realize how much they leaned on crowds when they get tired. And in some ways, that's probably probably an eye opening thing. We're like, well, gee, I guess I, I need to be in a little bit better shape here because I didn't realize how much energy I got from them.
0: Well, and plus, you know, you, you, you see the Mavericks there. They're, they have a winning record on the road. They have a losing record at home. Well, yeah. uh, just what you're talking about these young guys are, are not feeling it on the road. You know, they're not, they're not getting that kind of pressure. They're not getting fans screaming at them. Uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and I know we, we say that that sounds silly, but You've been down there on the floor. Or we used to be down on the floor anyway. And you know what it's like down there when you got fans that yelling, screaming over the top. And, and, it, and some players are affected by that kind of thing. You know, I, I'm always amazed when you see players turning and talking to fans and saying things to them. Uh, it just seems the craziest thing in the world to me, but, but sometimes they do. Uh, so I think it's interesting that. That on the road, I think the Mavericks are playing better, uh, and then at home they're not. And I think that's part of it. I think that they feel like there's not as much pressure on the road as there usually is, uh, and then at home though there's not as much boost, uh, and mm-hmm. so they're not they're not getting the same. And of course, some of it has to do with, with who you're playing at home as well. Sure. Uh, but uh, but you know, watching them against the the Rockets the other day, it seemed to me like Demarcus Cousins was making cases that hey, you guys should have uh, should have traded for me all those times mm-hmm. you talked about it. <laughs> you know he, <laughs> he looked unbelievable uh, you know he, he he scored like nine points in his previous six games and then he goes off for 27 Yeah, very uh,
1: uncharacteristic from how he had been playing yeah yeah. so uh
0: very interesting here to, it's very interesting to me to see you know it, it's so hard to judge you know anything about where the mavericks are going to come in now and because you know because of the shorter schedule and who knows how many games they're going to end up actually playing um it, this is very. It's it's hard to criticize them uh, when you're when you're missing you know uh, over a third of your rotation uh, and, and by and large your, your your, some of your
1: best defensive players. I mean the whole def- emphasis this year is to get be a better defensive team because that's going to serve you in the long haul. But your best defensive rotation players are out, and so now uh, you, you knew it was going to be in some respects. And we talked about this. I think we even said that, you know, over the first 20, especially first 20 games of the season was going to be an adjustment um, because they were just going to have to play differently and they couldn't go back to, oh, well, we would have won that game if we would have played last year's style. Yeah, you would have, but you're not playing to win that game against uh, an equal opponent in January you know, you're, you're making some sacrifices now. So you have a better chance uh, to be the top four team in, you know, June, July. So, um, but you know, all that being said, we're getting pretty close to 20 games. What? I think they're eight and nine now they're under Mm -hmm. 500. Um, They're about to have two games with a very good Utah team. Um, And you don't have 82 games this year. You have 72. And, Let's say you finally hit your stride. Who's to say that you or your opponent is not going to be knocked out for those next few games because of COVID. And so it's very hard, even when you get into a rhythm to know that you'll be able to sustain it. And, and, and that's harder to do when you're making a a transition and how you're playing. So um, while it's all understandable you know, they need to start showing something here over these next 10 games and starting to get some of that defensive identity and, and starting to put together a win streak because you can't afford to get too far behind in the West. Uh, because if you do, if you're looking up, there are going to be so many teams you have to pass uh in those final you know weeks of the season it's going to make it more difficult so no, no,
0: no question about that and that's a, you know the, the names we were talking about here of course are, are out josh richardson maxi cleaver uh, uh dorian finney smith sure yep. uh, and so these are guys that are, are really uh good defensive players as you said that's going to be driving a lot of what they try to do plus you know the Mavericks were hoping that, that Josh Richardson developed into something of a third wheel here uh and he was showing signs of doing that uh some uh it, not uh, not you know I, I was interested to see the difference between how he was doing and what Seth Curry is doing for the 76ers now he stepped right in and he's having a great year uh, for, for the Sixers he's mm-hmm. was averaging last time I looked 17 and a half points a game so uh, that would be career high for him uh, if he continues to do that but that was a situation you know, where even if he you know has that kind of season doesn't mean it was a bad trade for the Mavericks no. they were giving up a guy that they have plenty of offense uh, last year they were trying to de- develop a more of a two-way player and Josh Richardson and certainly I think that's what he is, but he needs some time to get uh, acclimated to playing with uh, with Luka Doncic uh, and uh, and fulfilling that role. Uh, and now, of course, he's been out. Uh, the, the feeling is, is that uh, what Rick Carlisle said the uh, uh, on Saturday was that he felt that uh, Josh would be the next guy back. Uh, they, they hope that, uh, that all these players will be back except for probably Kleba. It looks like that he's the, the last guy who might be able to return to the team. And they're hoping to have them back this week. So that would make a significant difference. But, of course, those guys have to get in uh, back into the playing shape. But it won't be like they just step right back in and everything's fine. Uh, I think so- there were some
1: parts in last night's game where Jalen Brunson was pretty, pretty gassed. Yeah. Um, um. You know. So it, that's that's the other point. You're not. You're back in, but you're not playing the number of minutes you anticipated you'll be playing, and you're not as far enough along, and where you hope to be. So, um. You know, when we're talking about 20 games going into the season to kind of, you know, th- they need to kind of fit into this, you know, transition and everyone feel, and and kind of take hold of their role. Uh, it, it's going to take longer. And it's a shorter season. Now you look up, say it's 35 games, 36 games. Well, that's half the season right there. Um, now, when you get to that point, you really can't afford for it to go on too much longer. Um, you know, like I said, there's no doubt in my mind that that this transition will be made. That The only danger or fear from a from a Mavericks perspective would be that once it takes hold, you're around game 55 or 60, and now suddenly you're, you know, 11th in the West. And, uh, uh, you know, it's going to be pretty difficult for you. There's not much room for error the rest of the way. And then even if you get in, you're eight going against one right away, and that's not what you want. So.
0: No, it's not. And that's and that's the thing. I thought this team had real potential to be a five and maybe even a four seed uh, this season. Uh, and that was based on, you know, Porzingis coming back, Josh Richardson, you know, asserting himself uh, and then the other guys who get just getting older, the improvements you would expect to see from from some of the young guys and, and even Doncic who can still get better at some of the things he was doing and he was playing so well defensively. Uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, uh, all this stuff starts to happen. Uh, and, uh, and I think at, at the worst time possible, not only did they have to play, you know, six games in eight days this week, they've got to play four games in six days. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't really let up much. Uh, and, and that's a lot uh, to be asking of these guys in these times. And, and then, and then when you, when you pile on top of that, just the mental, uh, aspect of these games i have to say you know we we've, we saw that last year from uh you know paul georgia and, and when he talked about the uh the playing in the bubble and he mm-hmm. just said you know he, t- he, he and everybody you know there was a real tendency to say oh come on man just just play but it is odd it is strange and it does make you feel uh different about it it made me feel different about covering it it didn't feel like i was covering a game i just felt yeah. like i was I felt like I was in a lab experiment of some kind. It just it's just a very odd setting uh, to 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 be in and be playing, trying to play games and play with the same emotion that you always have. Uh, And uh, and so there's all kinds of adjustments that these players are having to make. And my feeling about it is, is that eventually what's going to happen here is that it's not necessarily going to be the best team that wins this. We, we saw in baseball, the two best teams in baseball get to the world series and, and the best team won. And I think that was the, uh, and, and I'm not always just saying that's, you know, what you want to do is that the best team is always winning. Uh, but you'd like that to happen. I could just really see if this continues in the NBA, the, uh, Anything could happen here uh, about uh, who, who gets in the, the playoffs. It, it'll, it'll be a little bit of a survival of the fittest here. And, and I don't know, you know, most sports is, you know, the, the teams that win, generally speaking, don't have a lot of injuries. But these aren't injuries we're talking about here. This is something that, uh, that is completely out of everybody's control.
1: And uh, I just I just have an uneasy feeling about all of it. Well, and athletes and coaches like control and they're not in control now. And that's a a very difficult thing for a lot of them to handle. Yeah, it is. All right, David, that's going to do it
0: for our uh, podcast this week. We uh, we're, were sorry that Evan wasn't here. He'll be back next week, though, and we'll talk some more. And uh, as I talked about, we'll, we'll talk about possibilities of what the, the Cowboys might do next time. Uh, we, we did talk about the, the Cowboys uh, and uh, the Senior Bowl this week, uh, and uh, they will we will have the reports back from that uh, when that's over uh, next week. We'll be able to talk about that. And uh, all kinds of other stuff. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you.